Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to the Hokey Hangover Podcast. I am Andrew Alex from ESPN Blacksburg. I am joined today by one of the usual suspects, and here's a hint, it is not Ricky LeBleu. Ricky LeBleu, unfortunately, is trying to boat through the streets of Virginia Beach. Flooding is so bad that he was unable to get home from the day job. We are just going to basically wait to see if he jumps in at some point, but for now, we have Mike McDaniel in Northern Virginia. I'll try to hold it down as well as I can without Rick. Uh, we'll, we'll see how you do. We'll see how you do. I have faith in you, my friend. And we're joined today by a special guest from the State of the U, Sports Blog Nation's blog for the Miami Hurricanes. We have a man who Mike described to me as a Miami football encyclopedia, pleased to be joined by Cam Underwood. Cam, how are you? Andrew, I'm good. Thanks for having me on. And uh, Mike, like I said, it's been about, what, 46 hours since we spoke on your other podcast uh, and everything, the Join Mike Hate Miami podcast, I've affectionately nicknamed it. Uh, we're no, glad to be here. Good to talk uh, some, some football and hopefully uh, enjoy a, a victory uh, later on this week, but we'll see. We shall see. We're going to get into everything Virginia Tech Miami coming right up. But first, I would be remiss if I didn't inform you that this podcast is brought to you by the good people over at Main Street Pharmacy. Main Street Pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg is your one-stop shop. If you want a pharmacy that truly cares about you as a neighbor rather than a number, if you want a pharmacy that, you know, actually invests back into the local Blacksburg community and the university athletic program, look no further than Main Street Pharmacy. Dr. Jeremy Counts and his wonderful staff will take care of everything you need. Well, gentlemen, Cam, I, I don't know if you've heard, but this has been a little bit of a dramatic week in the world of Virginia Tech football, kind of a, uh, a crossroads, if you will. Losing to Liberty will do that to you. I, I, I'm sure that you as a Miami fan understand that point, having been the team that lost to Florida International last year. But I mean, on the bright side, things can turn around. Miami is the number nine team in the country. One loss, that loss being to the Clemson Tigers, and I don't think anyone will hold that against you. That being said, Miami sitting in that top 10, still an underdog at home to Virginia Tech. On the road. (laughs) On the road, excuse me. So first, explain to me why you think that Vegas views it this way. And second, if you disagree with Vegas's take, tell me why they're wrong. Uh, I think that it's overcorrection on both sides from recent events. Um, overcorrection because I think that you're, 
Vegas is thinking that Virginia Tech is going to co- have a big bounce back spot this week after losing at home to Liberty. Um, just, you know, it was so bad last week. Um, and you're looking at the result as really the thing that was, I mean, because like I said, Miami lost to FIU last year. You guys lose to Liberty this year. That's not where you want to be. Um, so the, the course correction, the overcorrection back saying, okay, they're going to come out in an awesome uh, display. And, you know, Miami is everybody's Super Bowl. So they're going to come out, they're going to pull out all the stops. They're going to, you know, rally around each other, blah, blah, blah. That's the one part. And the other part is NC State is an average team. Um, and Miami trailed most of that game. And it was a it was a dogfight and a shootout, and Miami ended up winning. So you think, okay, it's a uh, you know, that was a Friday night game, that was a big spot. They expended so much emotional energy in this comeback. Uh, you know, you saw even Mike Harley after the game crying because he put so much of his effort in there, uh, had a fantastic game, eight catches, 153 and two tutties. Um, but you know, it's gonna be luck runs out or something like that, or Miami's, you know, maybe they just used up some of their magic. Uh, and I think that you put those two things together and that's how you get to uh, Virginia Tech being favored at home. Uh, I think that that is incorrect. I think that Miami is a clearly better team than Virginia Tech. I think that there's um, more momentum going forward. And while it has not been a lot of blowouts, the one thing I can say about Miami this year is that they do not quit, period. Um, and that is that mental fortitude to overcome tough spots is something that this program has not shown in lots of time, uh, you know, the better part of 10, 15 years. So, yeah, I do think that uh, Vegas has gotten it wrong by having Virginia Tech favored here. Um, and, I mean, yeah, Miami's missing a couple guys from COVID, but not enough that it would swing it in my favor. So, yeah, I think you're just overcorrecting the Virginia Tech coming off of a loss. You're projecting Miami to have a really bad showing after an emotional game um, and discounting the advantage of talent that Miami has on the roster. And I just don't think that that's correct. You know, uh, Mike, you and I are obviously, we talk a lot. We do this podcast together. We do our spots on ESPN Blacksburg together, and, and we've become great friends over the years. You haven't always been high on Miami, but this season you came in, and though tech fans, the last thing they ever want to hear is the words, Miami is back. They think it's over overhyped by ESPN. They think it's, you know, hanging on to a title from glory days past and a prestige of glory days past. But you have been quick to say this season, no, pump the brakes, don't get cocky. This is a good Miami team. Well, here we are now. It's November. They're in the top 10. Has your opinion on them changed at all? Has it morphed as the season has gone on? Or are you still pretty much right where you started? My feeling on Miami has been pretty consistent all year, despite like the results they've had, whether they win by three scores or win by one score in a tough fight it out game like they had last Friday against NC State. My whole opinion on Miami and Cam, I, I'd like to get your input on this on this too, um, as, as whether I'm kind of right on the money here from kind of off into space. But 2017 Miami, when the Hurricanes win 10 games and they they lose to Pitt and get blown out by Clemson and losing the Orange Bowl. And they were just kind of scraping by all year. It's similar to some of the games they've scraped by this year um, with like close margins of victory and stuff like that. But I feel differently about this Miami team. I feel like it's a more well-rounded group from the standpoint of De'Ara King is just totally revolutionized the offense. The one thing that was clearly missing from that 2017 Miami Miami team was a quarterback who could lay it out on the line, whether it was with his arm or on the ground with his legs, with consistency. And Miami had been missing that, in my opinion, over the last few years. 
And the defense is definitely not as good as it was in 2017, but still good enough. And with this offense, I think the margin for error is a bit greater. So even though there are some games here this year that Miami's winning by close margins, I feel more comfortable and confident in this team than I do in 2017, Cam. Do you think that's fair? No, definitely it is. Uh, that team was a lot of smoke and mirrors. Uh, you know, you had a, a hurricane canceled game at Arkansas State, who still chirps about the fact that they would have beaten Miami in 2017 if we went there, which is just stupid, but whatever. Uh, so you only play 11 games. Took a while to get rolling because that was a September game, you know, so you have Florida State a little early uh, that year and things like that. Um, and it just took a while to get rolling because you had that random week off because of a hurricane and uh, things like that. I mean, and it looked like it was going to be a major hurricane at the time we were, you know, writing about it and everything. It was one of the strongest storms in recorded human history when it looked like it was just going to come directly to us as I sit here in my apartment in South Florida. Um, you know, so, I mean, there was that and that team was, yeah, you know, offensively had talent, but really wasn't great. Um, and it was, it was tough because, yeah, you know, like Malik Rozier could run a little bit, but we've never had a quarterback who can run like Derrick King. You know, we hit some throws down the field, but he was very inaccurate as a thrower. Had a long baseball player uh, looping motion, which is crazy because he played catcher, which should be, you know, you take the ball straight from the glove right to your ears. You're trying to throw it down, not this big looping outfielder's throw, but that's what he had. Um, and he was just not accurate enough. So when the running game went away, there was no NC State game like this past week, where it's like, okay, we're going to be press man your guys got to beat it and you got to hit throws. He wasn't able to do that. Uh, and the defense, I think, yeah, in 2017 was better, um, but the offense was worse, uh, especially from a schematic standpoint. But yeah, with this new offense, you feel like, okay, there's going to be not as much efficiency as you want because we're still developing, but the explosion is definitely there. And you're putting players more in space to be explosive, which was what Miami should do. So you're balancing that a little bit as you're growing into this system. Uh, the defense, yeah, Again, they, they're the real ones who have shown the temerity that uh, this team has embodied this year. It is tough. It has been a lot of bend, no little to no break. I mean, obviously against Clemson, yeah, you know, but like the NC State game on Friday uh, passed, that's a game that this team loses, you know, what, nine of the last 10 years. You know what I mean? That Pittsburgh game before, uh, two weeks before, but that Virginia game even, that was a dog fight. You know what I mean? Those, I mean, and yes, okay, we won that game last year, but there's other games that we lost last year that could point to the fact that Miami beat Virginia in 2019 was an aberration. You know what I mean? Like they have found ways to win games that they would otherwise lose. So yeah, I do feel a little bit more comfortable with this team, uh, a little bit more confident just because at the heart of things, like you're talking about, I'm more comfortable and confident in De'Aaron King as the quarterback, because if it comes down to that, um, you know, you have that ability, you have that player who's one of the handful of best quarterbacks in America. If you haven't seen him before, uh, you need to watch because this kid is dynamic. He's electric, you know, 435 in the air or uh, sorry, 430 in the air and 105 on the ground last week. Yo, come on. Like people are not doing that often, you know, uh, so he has that ability and the defense does is not as dominant, but Miami outgained NC State 244 to six in the fourth quarter of that game. I think they had a 17% success rate on their plays in the fourth quarter, did North Carolina State. It got thick, it got late. Miami was down 10 and the clamps came on. And the defense has the ability to do that at times. 
not as consistently as before, but it still flashes that ability. So when you combine those things of the defense stepping up when needs to be and the special teams, my God, our kicking game was the worst in America. Now you bring over Jose Borgales from FIU who beat Miami before, and he's what, 14 or 13 out of 14. And the one that he missed was blocked because we missed an assignment on the line and perfect on extra points and like 70 80 percent of his field goal or kickoffs or extra or, uh, touchbacks are punter you know six five two fifty five uh four or a 28 year old australian dude with tats everywhere he's awesome return game has been pretty decent coverage can use some help but whatever but special teams is going from being a dumpster fire into being a weapon in our favor you got a defense that can lock you down if and when that is a necessity like it was last week in an offense that literally can score at any time from anywhere on the field yeah i feel more comfortable with this team than i do 2017 100 percent all right you spoke a lot about De'Ara king there cam and and i kind of want to turn this to mike now because I'm not going to lie, man, and we've said this in podcast past, I'm shaking in my boots. The, the issue with mobile quarterbacks for Virginia Tech has been long documented. It started with Bud Foster, and it has leaked here into the Justin Hamilton era. With Derek King, we have more than a mobile quarterback. We have a, a guy who can do it with his legs, but he's also got that ability as a pure pocket passer. Now, here we are, two weeks ago. Malik Cunningham, Louisville, had a big day. Virginia Tech struggles. Last week, Liberty, Malik Willis, best player on the field all day. Virginia Tech struggles. Virginia Tech loses. Now you got a guy who has more tools than the previous two, and it's just clearly far better. What, if anything, can Virginia Tech do to stop this guy? I'm kind of struggling to figure out (laughs) what – the game plan is going to be to stop the air King. Seriously. Um, I think we'll see something similar to what we saw against Louisville, where they're going to try to, they're going to try to take away the running game first, whether it be De'Ara King or whoever's carrying the ball for Miami, Cameron Harris and, and the like, I mean, they're going to do whatever they can to slow down the running game first. Uh, because the problem that the problem with defending a guy like De'Ara King is that, if he gets any sort of confidence in the running game that he either possesses or that his backs are possessing and he's able to open things up through the air, man, Rhett Lashley has so many different looks. He can throw at Virginia Tech's defense. Justin Hamilton is a first-year defensive coordinator. This is a really, really tough spot, in my opinion, for a defense at Virginia Tech that has had trouble lining up, has had trouble um, you know, staying in gaps, like gap integrity of the linebackers and defensive line has been a major problem this year. And the problem that De'Ara King also uh, poses to Virginia Tech's defense is that he can create plays too, right? Cam, you said this on on the ACC podcast the other night, right? There's the play that's called, and there's the play that he can just kind of make on his own, like schoolyard bullshit play. That's that's the issue that Virginia Tech's going to have to defend against. And the Hokies have had a lot of trouble this year just defending the basic run game, the basic pass game that – if things get off schedule and De'Ara King is comfortable in that environment, which he's proven time and time again, whether it be at Houston or at Miami, that he's comfortable doing, it's going to be really tough for the Virginia Tech defense. So tackling is paramount. It's been important every week that Virginia Tech get better at tackling, but this is one of those weeks where if they come out and they don't tackle well, it's going to be a really, really long day for the Hokies defense. Well, folks, I have a, a very spectacular announcement that I, I'm sure 
will be you know equivalent to Christmas in the things that happened to you in 2020. Ricky LeBlue has joined us after kayaking through the streets of Virginia Beach or wherever in the 757 he actually lives. Ricky, what's up, dude? Oh, man, it's a mess. <laughs> it's been raining its ass off all day, basically. Started last night. And my neighborhood, so my neighborhood is literally titled Lake Placid. It's it's actually a lake now. And uh, fortunately, I have a family friend who's able to come get me. And um, he, I, I have a crossover SUV, so it's not like I have a, a big honking truck, but he does. So fortunately, we were able to make it even if we were a bit, uh, a bit tardy. Well, we're glad to have you, Ricky. You know, you had me scared. Ricky LeBlue out there in the midst of a hurricane as we prepare for the Miami Hurricanes. Cam, you know, I, I touched on this before. The issues, Miami at the end of the season last year, you know, perception was that it was kind of a dumpster fire. And obviously, quick turnaround. They're having a great season so far. For Virginia Tech fans, right, who – kind of feel like they're stuck between a rock and a hard place right now. Tell us maybe what was changed in terms of staff, what was changed in terms of scheme, which was changed culturally that was able to allow Miami to really pick things up faster than a lot of people might have expected. In terms of culture, well, no, I got to start with the, the who before the what. So in terms of staffing, um, got rid of Danny Nose, the offensive coordinator, got rid of uh, his uh, friend, um, Baker. Baker? He had an alliterative name. It was BB. I forget his name right now, but the offensive <laughs> line coach um, as well. Uh, Taylor Stubblefield continues his one-year tour around college football, trying to coach at every single team in his career. Uh, so he was here for a year, and then he left to go to Penn State as wide receivers coach. So we bring in Rob Likens from Arizona State, the former offensive coordinator, uh, and wide receivers coach who's coached back-to-back -back, uh, first-round draft picks in Nikhil Harry and in Brandon Ayuk uh, and coached in a spread. Then you bring in, uh, well, first of all, obviously, Red Lashley, the offensive coordinator from SMU. That was the big get uh, because we had to change the paradigm of what we're going to do on offense. So it's not going to be I formation, three yards in the cloud of dust. We're going to come into this, you know, millennium and play spread football, which some people like myself have been begging for for a decade or more. Uh, then he brings in Garen Justice, a well-respected offensive line coach, uh, to help rebuild that unit because that unit was a dumpster fire uh, before. It was really, really bad, um, as evidenced by giving up 10 stacks in the opener to Florida um, in last year. And again, Florida was a talented team, but there's no way, reason there should have been 10 stacks. It's just, no, it was, it was crazy. So you bring in those guys, uh, those three guys on offense uh, in the coaching staff, and that really helped change because you're going to bring in a new paradigm. Hey, we're going spread. Boom. So you carry over your running backs, coach Eric Hickson, uh, who's well-respected down here, great recruiter, brought in Donald Cheney Jr. and John, uh, John excuse me, Jalen Knighton, the two best running backs in uh, Broward, Dade, uh, Broward and Dade counties, respectively, uh, from high school, the best two-man recruiting class at running back of any team in the country for my money last year. Uh, so he did that. Um, Stephen Field, well-respected down here, tight ends coach, he stayed on as well. Uh, and the entire defensive staff stayed together. Um, which is pretty much the same staff has been for five years with the exception of you bring in Blake Baker before 2019 when Manny Diaz stepped up into the big seat from DC to head coach uh, when he came back from Temple because he was there for 13 days or something like that. Um, so that's who you changed in terms of staff. In terms of uh, players, obviously as a transfer, you bring in also Jared uh, Jared Williams from uh, Houston as well, plays right tackle. So he played with De'Aaron King. He comes down um, 
Quincy Roche, defensive end, Jalen Phillips, the former number one overall recruit in the 2017 recruiting class had previously transferred and sat out from UCLA. And he looks like he's playing up to five-star status. Um, and like I said, Jose Borgales, who's transferred, you cannot overlook because it's been massive for Miami. So those are the main addition, in addition to the recruiting class, which is pretty good. And I already mentioned a couple of guys and some of our guys are playing really well. In terms of mentality, it was really Manny Diaz, I think, um, being that second year coach um, and taking a step forward. And I, I was a teacher for a long time. I taught for 15 years. I taught high school music. And I remember my mentor teacher, when I first started, I was struggling to figure out how to connect with uh, the students or teach them certain things, you know. Um, and he said, okay, that makes sense. So you know how teachers or coaches will use the phrase, I'm going to go into my bag of tricks and try something new. You're so green, we got to knit you a bag from scratch. <laughs> and then after we give you a bag, we will start putting tricks in the bag. And I think that last year for Manny Diaz was that same kind of survival. And he thought, okay, well, I've been coaching around and like, I'll be successful with it. As a head coach, he didn't even have a bag to put the tricks in to go to, to try to do things differently. So now he has a bag and now he has maybe one or two tricks. But at the center of that, he has a clarity of focus of what he wants this program to be. And that's tough and that's physical and that's mentally strong. And having that mentality propagated for two years, okay, I'm going to be the same guy. I'm going to give that same direction. I think that that's actually taking hold. And then multiple coaches and players have spoken about the fact that this team had a vacuum of leadership. You know, there was, they needed somebody at the top. They needed that, that, that cherry on top of your Sunday. I told uh, Mike and Joey on their podcast, they needed direction. They needed the North star. So when the lights go out and I'm in the middle of the woods, I can look to that North star and I know the direction that I need to go. And Derek King is that North star. He is the, he sets the pace. Everybody looks to him. And when he came here, everybody said, we need you to be the leader for this team. The guy that we look to and follow. And he has embodied that at every turn. And I cannot overstate the importance of having somebody with that mentality that the job is not too big for. It's not, oh, well, I don't know if I can shoulder that load. They told him, you got to be everything for us and we will follow you like the Pied Piper. And he said, give me a flute and I'm going to start playing and get in line and let's go. And when you put those things together with the mentality, with the additions, with the change in staff and, and the accompanying change in paradigm, especially offensively for a team that has had a championship caliber defense and been let down absolutely by their offense for multiple years. You put that together and that's how you're seeing Miami have the success or at least at this point of the season, we need to continue to win and you know push forward. But you're seeing this Miami team play in a way that they want to. And we're seeing the success that we've been building for, I think. Just quickly for you here, Cam. De'Aaron King is the best Miami Hurricanes quarterback since. Everybody's going to say Ken Dorsey. Um, and I mean, it depends. If you're talking about wins, then it's Ken Dorsey. If you're talking about individual skill and talent, I mean, you could debate and say maybe Ja'Cory Harris. Um, you could say Brock Berlin. You could say Brad Kaya, you know, who's name is all over the record books if you want to go look at them you know things like that all-time leading passer just saying you know almost ten thousand yards in three years i'm just you know throwing that out there um but I, I would say yeah it would have to be one of those guys depending on if you're talking about winning too many if you're talking about like individual skill um so he's the best since any one of those um but he has a skill set unlike any other quarterback that miami's ever played 
Pam, you mentioned specifically how important Garrett King has been to getting this program kind of to the point where Miami fans want them to be, which is a top 10, top 15 team every single season with a chance to make a run at the playoff. Um, but how beneficial has it been for, for Derek having such a balanced offense with so many skill guys? Like I was looking at Miami stats today as I was trying to write a preview for him and seven different Miami players have 11 or more receptions. And just for a comparison for the tech listeners here, Virginia Tech has only three such receivers who have 11 or more receptions. Um, how beneficial is it to have that kind of balance to where when you have a guy like Brevin Jordan who's out, Will Mallory can step right in and there's almost no drop-off? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously th – this is what we've been talking about, playing to the level of talent on the roster for so long. You know, P.S., by the way, Brevin Jordan has been the Mackey Award uh, tight end of the week twice nationally this year so too is brevin jordan there have been nine weeks and miami tight ends have been the the mackie award-winning tight end of the week four times this college football season we do this in a way that other people don't everybody can talk about their tight end you just go look at the proof on the field you know what i mean it just <laughs> like we do this but it it's emblematic of what we've been talking about yes you can have star players but you also have other guys who are not household names who can score from anywhere. You know, if I want to throw a swing pass to Mark Pope or, you know, whatever, he can step out of that. If you want to throw a screen to Cameron Harris, if you want to, uh, like the Louisville game, have fake power and then swing out Jalen Knight and the freshman on a wheel route, they can go from, you know, any distance and they're going to make plays, they're going to step up and they, they just, they can add it positively. And you can just, replace one with another oh i tweaked an ankle on a play cool mike harley is in well mike harley's our star wide receiver right now but mike harley tweaks one uh then then it's uh d wiggins if it's not d wiggins it's jeremiah payton it's not jeremiah payton it's will mallory it's brevin george i can keep going there's more names guys you know what i mean and that is the strength of this roster is having all of these amazing athletes because they live within a stone's throw from the campus like i live in central fort lauderdale right now you're talking 45 minutes, okay, maybe an hour because traffic down here is terrible and the city grid of, you know, South uh, Florida uh, is just stupid uh, to get there. But, I mean, you're talking within a 90-minute ride, you know, accounting for traffic. you got more talent in, than anyone in America you can shake a stick at. We, we're turning down, guys. Elijah Moore at Old Miss, played at St. Thomas Aquinas, wanted desperately to be a Miami Hurricane, played on the same team as Mike Harley. And we said, look, we're going to go with Mike Harley. We don't have room for you. And go look up what he's doing. SEC at Old Miss's wide receiver. This is a guy that we told we have no room for you in the end. Think of the guys that we have on the roster. That is what we need to be doing. We're not, not just force feeding it, feeding it to one guy, but having the diversity to say, okay, if you want to take this guy away, then we're going to learn. you're going to learn this other guy's name this week. You want to take that guy away, this other, other guy's name you're going to learn this week. And that is really helpful. So you have fresh guys all the time, hopefully. You have guys that are, I mean, really athletic, recruited by all of the Blue Buds or many of the Blue Buds in America, and they're really able now to step up on the field. So now if you're Garrett King, 
I can look at any of the numbers out there. Three, six, eight, nine, 85, 12, 88. If you want to talk about a freshman that I think should be playing more Keyshawn Smith, that he's been out with uh, COVID kind of symptoms, other guys, you know, 88 or 83, Michael Redding, the third and all American from IMG Academy. If you're talking about the running backs, 23, two, uh, four, you can throw the ball to any of these guys and make plays. And that's really, really helpful because yeah, I trust them at their best and I've seen what kind of athletes that they can be. So yes, I'm going to give them the ball. Hopefully Rhett Lashley has schemed them to have the ball in space. And I like my guy against your guy and let's go. You know, Cam, you, you mentioned Brevin Jordan recently and I'll, I'll make a confession. I don't like to say this publicly because I don't want people to think badly of me. I am a fan of the Washington football team. The Washington football team's I'm number so sorry. yeah the Washington football team's number one tight end is currently Logan Thomas who we love him former Virginia Tech quarterback probably not the ideal number one option given that he's never been higher than number three in any depth chart before so when I see Bre- Brevin Jordan when I watch Miami play I-, I see a guy and I say this is going to translate directly to the NFL level. Tell me about what he does that makes him so special. Tell me about what he does that makes people think this is one of the one or two best tight ends in the country. He's the best tight end in America. I've been saying it for a couple of years. He should have won the Mackey Award last year, but he missed some games for injury. So that's the knock on him is that he can be a little bit injury prone. He's missing another game this year or this week. Uh, for the worst game in a row that he's made. Yes, four games in a row in five weeks because we had a buy in there. Uh, so, like, that's the knock on him. But, uh, you know, he's a little, quote-unquote, undersized because you want Gronk, uh, Gronkowski just monsters at tight end, you know, six seven six eight dudes. He's not that. He's 6'3". Um, but he's too fast for linebackers. He's too big for safeties. Um, he's just a technician in the middle of the field uh, anytime that he's running routes. I mean, yeah, he can run the option routes and just has that synergy with whatever quarterback because his number nine jersey is always open. Uh, he plays really well. He catches the ball. He blocks really well. I know that that was the knock on him coming out of Bishop Gorman uh, High School in Las Vegas was okay. Well, you know, and that's pretty much every high school player. What's the thing that they can develop? Pass pro, you know what I mean? Or, or run blocking. That's the thing that they can develop. He does that really well, you know, in line. He can, you can put him anywhere, you know, and that's, it gives your offense multiplicity. You can put him at fullback, H-back, in line, in the slot. You can put him as a solo wide receiver, uh, you know, on a, a two-by-one or three-by-one formation. You can have him as the one on the solo side if you want, or you can put him anywhere on the other side as well, one, two, or three. Um, he just, yeah, he can go anywhere on the field pretty much. Uh, yeah, he's not the fastest guy in the world, but what tight end is really going to be the fastest on your roster? You know what I mean? Uh, but uh, he pretty much just does everything really well that you need to do. He's big enough. Uh, he has a matchup advantage with pretty much anybody who's going to guard him. Uh, he blocks for his position very, very well. Uh, and he's very consistent in that uh, performance of those duties and has been ever since, I mean, I would say since he's been here, but even since high school and he just continues to develop. Uh, so hopefully, you know, he uh, is able to kind of uh, shirk off some of these injury issues that have plagued him the last couple of years. But uh, yeah, his uh, performance on the field is par excellence. Cam, do we know if he is ruled out for this week? Yeah, he's out. Okay, so let me ask about Will Mallory then, because we've seen before that Tech just has a problem leaving guys wide open. There's so many different types of busted coverages, and one of the issues that Tech has had is covering slot guys, tight ends, things in the, over the middle of the field. Um, how can Virginia Tech maybe try and stop a guy like a Will Mallory to, to keep him from wreaking havoc and finding himself open in the middle of the defense. 
I mean, redirect him uh, at the top of his route, you know, so get hands on him, uh, sorry, at the bottom, so not where he's making his break, but early on, you know, right off the line, try to affect him and things like that. Um, Will Mallory is a bigger guy. He's, you know, that 6'5", 6'6", 240 uh, body type. I've been banding this about and been talking about it with some people. Will Mallory might be a better pro prospect than Brevin Jordan, which is weird to say because Brevin Jordan's the best tight end in America, but I think it might be true. Uh, so we'll see. But yeah, I would say, um, you know, maybe try to give him uh, quicker guys uh, that are covering Will Mallory that can stay underneath his route or uh, or be right there at the point of catch uh, wherever he goes. Obviously, if you're going to use a faster guy, he might be a little smaller. And we saw last week uh, or against Virginia, the first play of the game, Miami threw a 50-50 ball and he just kind of over the top like you would do with a little <laughs> child uh, to grab that first pass. So you're going to have that because, again, Will Mallory is 6'5", 6'6". Um, but I would say that, yeah, you know, try to affect him early on right at the top, you know, right after the snap. And then uh, maybe with some faster guys where, uh, you know, they're able to stay connected with him and then make all the catches, uh, contested uh, catch point catches and see if he's able to play uh, play big like he has these last couple of games, but that was the knock on him the last couple of years because he played wide receiver in high school. He's been really growing into this man-sized body. And so, yeah, we're going to, or I would say, push him and make him play big all the time. And if he does, okay, great. But that's what I would do. I would put somebody smaller and faster and say, we're going to live in your hip pocket. And if you're going to catch these balls, it's going to be yoinking it over top of my head, mossing me every single time, but you're not going to be butt naked wide open. There's going to be somebody from our defense with you at all times. I have one more question, Cam, that I really need an answer to, because I've been trying to look at this Miami defense and I see how much havoc that this defensive front can create but what about the back end I, I I see that at least statistically they're not all that great they're 75th in pass yards allowed on average but we know there's some talent back there and Al Blades and Bubba Bolden um, but collectively as the unit is this a, a a unit that's vulnerable and a unit that maybe the Hokies can try and exploit or have they uh, or, or, or the stats really not telling the entire picture? No, I think that, I mean, the defense in general is something that, uh, you know, needs to step up consistently, but the back half, the back seven really does, uh, you know, need to do that. Amari Carter, you know, he has, what, two or three targetings this year, like four or five for his career. So he's a talented guy, uh, and you can flex him down in the sub package to linebacker, but, uh, you know, he'll be there at the point of catch. And it could be a 50-50 if he's going to play the next player, if he's going to, you know, be over <laughs> by Ed Reed having a little talking to again. Uh, so there's that. Bubba Bolden's really good. Um, he has struggled sometimes in man-to-man defense. If you look back to that Louisville game, I don't know why Blake Baker, the defensive coordinator, schemed it, but he had Bolden one-on-one solo man coverage against Tutu Atwell. Spoiler alert, that went very poorly for him. <laughs> um, so you don't want to see those kinds of things. Uh, but he can play. Gervin Hall, I thought was going to take a bigger step forward, although he's been pretty consistent this year at safety. Um, you know, the cornerback play has been inconsistent, uh, and that's that's been tough. Uh, Al Blades is the best of the bunch, but even he struggled a little bit early against North Carolina State. DJ Ivey got lit on fire by uh, UAB, and then he uh, was excoriated by the fan base. And then uh, everybody was kind of quiet for the next few weeks, and he started playing a little bit better. And then he had his struggles last week as well, but the whole defense did against NC State, to be perfectly honest. Uh, and then to Corey Couch, uh, your super sub, excuse me, is uh, really good. He just happens to be five nine. 
Uh, but he has the best, I think, man coverage skills on the on the team. He's he's a dog. He's always been that guy uh, that has amazing solo, like man to man coverage skills. Just put me put me in the slot. Let me cover that guy all over the field, option routes, whatever. Just let, let me cook. Let me do that man to man. And he's really really great at that. He's just tiny. Um, but yeah, you know, I think it's a step back uh, in the back end. You know, you're missing guys like a Jaquan Johnson who was just. Uh, he was so integral to this defense a couple of years ago, you know, that 2017, that's when he was 17 and 18, he was a star, you know, uh, on the defense and he didn't miss anything in the run game. They got past the first or second level. He was shut down all those long runs that you're seeing Miami give up number four in the past. Jaquan Johnson shut all that noise down. Um, you know, I think Bubba Bolden has been more impactful, like at the high end of his performance, but he's been less consistent than like a superstar performer, like Jaquan Johnson was first team all ACC's last year, uh, should have been all American got robbed by that, by the way. Um, but yeah, you know, the, the passing defense has been, I think that's really where we're seeing the embodiment of Ben book don't break. You know, it's like, we're a little scared of going over or getting taken over the top. And, you know, when you get into some of those sub packages, you know, if you remember the Clemson game, um, Amari Carter, got a targeting in the first half he's gone you had Gervin Hall sitting out for a targeting from the previous game for the first half so he went back to the second half so you go to my former personal student in my classroom when I taught at Miramar High School Brian Balaam uh true freshman in there at free safety against Clemson and he blew a couple coverages and I'd never seen it before but Trevor Lawrence missed wide open throws that would have been touchdowns and that's kind of where it was like whoa hey you know uh, a little a little dicey out there but yeah I think in the past game is really where teams have been able to take advantage of Miami uh so those are things that need to be addressed and also it's kind of you know the other part of it and I've said this before we're getting back to previous years where apparently no opposing team can have a holding call called against them when Miami is the team. And I'm like, you got all these guys getting up the field. You got all these first round draft pick, all American kind of defensive players and you're never holding ever, but Miami's always a step away, a step away, a step away. But when you're a step away, that means that your back end has to cover longer. Right? So now they're not able to do that. And it's just like, I don't know if Manny Diaz needs to go to the reps and say, just, just look for it. You know, but the first drive last week, Jalen Phillips literally had his jersey torn off of his shoulder pads on the first drive. No calls like and it's, it's that. And if you are basing everything on we're going to get pressure with four, we're going to get home. And that's not adjudicated, I don't think, properly. Then that really puts the strain on the back seven and they don't have the ability right now to withstand that kind of extended coverage time. Damn, I mean, we know, right, we know that. As Virginia Tech fans, as people that cover this team, the strength of this team so far this year has been running the damn ball and doing so with Khalil Herbert, one of the best backs in the country. So basically, every- Khalil Herbert from South Florida, whose brother's on our roster, Kyleon from American Heritage, let it be known. <laughs> should, should have never let that guy go to Kansas. But now he's here at Virginia Tech, didn't play last week. Let's just say to assume that he's going to be back. How much confidence do you have in Miami's run defense? Because I, I've seen up and down performances on the stat sheet. They seem to be a little bit worse on the road. Mm -hmm. what, do you, what do you think of this group? I think that I'm, I mean, I do have confidence in the run defense, but uh, I'll say this, name me the running back that's gone off, like seriously off against Miami in the last decade. That's not named Dalvin Cook or Travis Etienne. Jonathan Taylor in a bowl game after Miami was up big and then Malik Rozier threw one of the worst interceptions I've ever seen and then gave them the ball back and then let them get running. Okay. So there's three, 
And those are three of the best college running backs that you'll ever see. Pretty much anybody else who's even good. I mean, if you're talking about guys, Cam Akers, everybody's All-American. You know, he's playing and playing well in the NFL. You got all these other guys that Miami has played against over the last, you know, five, 10, almost 15 years. They don't get off. You know, that's the thing that we pride ourselves on. They're not going to really have these transformational kind of performances. So until I see it from a guy who's not Dalvin Cook, Jonathan, uh, what's his face, or uh, what's his what's his face from Clemson, you know, I don't, Jonathan Taylor or Travis Etienne. Yeah, I remember the names, guys. But if it's not one of those three guys, and I don't think that he is, I'm not expecting to be hit with, you know, 120 yards and three touchdowns. I'm just not. And hey, maybe they go out there and prove me wrong. And, you know, Kylie, or sorry, Khalil, the older brother, Herbert. Uh, P.S., by the way, he's just another three-star who Miami didn't have room for. Hmm, it happens. Uh, but, you know, I don't think that he's going to have one of those performances just because, again, if, unless you're a transformational running back over the course of time, nobody really has had that. And if there is another one, that would really be the outlier. You know what I mean? We're not giving up 125 and two, three touchdowns just to the average Joe Blows or even guys who are all conference in their conferences. It really has been transformational backs who have really dominated Miami in that kind of a way recently. And I just don't think that uh, Khalil Herbert is that. So I'm confident in Miami, hopefully being able to, you know, curtail him enough, but you can still win a game with your lead running back running for 85 yards and a score if you're controlling the ball and scoring enough points. So even though I don't necessarily think he's going to have the biggest game ever against the Miami Hurricanes, he can do enough where he can affect the game in a, in a way, you know, for Virginia Tech that I would personally not enjoy. All right, Michael and Ricky, and to to his point, you know, this it is tough to go off on the ground against Miami. We've seen it over the years. And this Miami team, from what I've seen and from what he's described, is the same fast, aggressive, hard-hitting Miami defense that we've seen in years past. Now, let's do a little thought experiment here. First of all, you have Hendon Hooker. The last couple of games, it's been 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 carries per game for Hendon Hooker against this team. That worries me. We're going to have to find ways to run the ball outside of Hooker. If Herbert is there, what's your game plan on the ground controlling the pace? And if he can't play, I mean, I just don't think – it's sustainable to keep running the ball with him and hooker every single time. What are your guys' thoughts on how this should be approached? I, I agree with that. And you'll remember last year, you know, Virginia Tech didn't have the running game that they have this year with Khalil Herbert and headed hooker carried the ball a ton in that Miami game. It was his first start. And I, I think the big takeaway was what hooker was able to do on the ground in that game, but also kind of as a rollout guy through the air, um, he was able to influence the game that way as well. I think the game plan is going to be the same, whether or not, you know, Herbert's in the lineup or not like hooker hooker's been a product of a lot of the read option game. Right. And a lot of his running plays, at least lately have been a product of that. I think Virginia tech still going to try to establish the run with their running backs, regardless of whether or not Herbert's in the lineup. But I think it's safe to assume that if Herbert does not play, that Hooker is going to carry a brunt of the load again. That's just kind of the way that this offense has to operate for Justin Fuente and Brad Cornelson. I think the one way that Virginia Tech can potentially expose Miami's over pursuit, right? Because they're just a very aggressive defense. You see that Virginia Tech likes to run those like throwback passes to a tight end. We saw it a lot more last year with like Dalton Keene. I think that could potentially be a play that hurts Miami, right? And we haven't seen it a ton this year, uh, but that's a play that I think, you know, you, you establish a run, right? You 
the quarterback sweep, the running back sweep with Herbert or whoever's in the backfield, Blackshear, Holson, whoever. And then you just kind of get that play set up where you're throwing it back to a tight end like James Mitchell or uh, Nick Gallo or someone like that, right, where you're throwing it back across the field. I think that could potentially hurt Miami because they are a very blitz and pressure heavy defense. And I think you have to take advantage of that over pursuit somehow and use it to your advantage offensively. The, the only other way I could see Virginia Tech trying to neutralize it is in the screen game. And Virginia Tech just hasn't been a great team with screen passes all year. So I would prefer throwing in a throwback every now and then. So I think that could really hurt Miami potentially. But that, that's my two cents on that. Yeah. I mean, I would love to sit here and say that Virginia Tech is going to be able to incorporate other running backs into the offense. But when we saw Khalil Herbert go out in this past week, that obviously didn't happen. I mean, Raheem Blackshear had something like nine carries or Hennon Hooker was above 20. Um, and as far as I'm concerned, that's just negligence. I understand that Hendon Hooker is an explosive runner and he can make guys miss and he's, he's very dynamic with the ball in his hands, but the guy's not built for this man. Like, Gerard was built for it to a sense because Gerard is a big stocky guy and Gerard could take the beating. But even then Gerard was playing hurt for most of the second half of the season. Um, we we've already seen that that shoulder brace that Hendon hooker finished last season with is already back on. And if you continue to ask him to run the ball 20 plus times a game, he's going to get popped at least once and he's not going to come back in. And that's, going to absolutely wreck this offense um because Braxton Burmeister and Quincy Patterson is as decent a quarterbacks as they are they're not capable of running this offense at the same clip that Hendon Hooker is so Virginia Tech needs to find ways if first of all if Khalil Herbert's in the game he needs to get the ball that's that's obvious if Khalil Herbert is not playing in this game or if he's on a snap count then Raheem Blackshear needs to be trusted to make plays I mean they they made a big deal about this guy when he came from Rutgers and we saw what he could do there, especially in, in the receiving game. And we just haven't seen it this year. We haven't seen them get the ball in his hands enough in order for him to make a, a serious impact. So they need to find a way to get him the ball. I really want to see Jalen Holston get a few more carries. I'm tired of him just being used as a fullback because that's really what he was used for last week in these designed quarterback runs. And look, if you're, if you're that dead set on running the rock with the quarterback, then go ahead and work Quincy Patterson in the game a little bit. Uh, Cause he's certainly built more to take on this beating. And if you're going to treat Hendon hooker, like a running back with the football, then he needs to be spelled like a running back. And, and that's absolutely right, Ricky. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly on this one. La last question I have, at least in terms of personnel for cam is talking about, the edge on that defensive front. Virginia Tech fans, you might remember the name Quincy Roche. Yeah, he came to Blacksburg. The guy was at Temple last year, American Athletic Conference Defensive Player of the Year. Things looked good. It looked like a big pickup for Virginia Tech. There were some questions about what was going on academically. Before they could even get answered, Miami jumps in with the big steal, and now they got to play against him. On the other end, you got Jalen Phillips, a former number one overall recruit. This is a very good group. Just looking at the stat sheet, I mean, the sack numbers aren't crazy, but it's fair to say there's probably more to it. Cam, what do those guys bring to the table? 
Cam, we, uh, we're, we're not hearing you right now. Whoops, sorry about that. Had my microphone on mute. Uh, Lindsey Roche is awesome. He's a technician out there, uh, plays with a high motor, uh, you know, and he can just, he gets up the field, he's disruptive. He has a lot of pressures and things like that, but I've already referenced the fact that I don't think that uh, Miami's defense has been adjudicated properly uh, in terms of other offensive lines uh, being called for holding when they've been actually holding. And I think that that's depressed the sack numbers for both of those guys, um, to be perfectly honest. Uh, but they're in the backfield. They're getting upfield. Uh, there's very few offensive linemen that can really stone them uh, in a one-on-one kind of pass protection situation. Uh, so, yeah, Roche, he's come in and he's played very, very well, but very strong. Uh, and Phillips is uh, – he's bigger. You know, he's 6'5", 260-ish. Uh, now he was probably in the 215, 220 range when he got here. He's put on some good weight uh, and everything. And he's flashing why he was the number one overall recruit in America some years ago. Uh, you know, he has great get off. He's getting up the field. He's also disrupting things. He had a tipped ball interception where he batted a pass up and caught it himself and returned it for a touchdown. Um, did he score that one? I think he did uh, against Florida State. But there were so many turnovers and amazing plays against Florida State. Who can remember them all? <laughs> um, but I mean, th- those guys are both. Great, you know, and that's how you, uh, that's the foundation for what we're doing. Now you have Nessa Severa, who's growing up finally uh, in his junior year here at defensive tackle. He's really starting to make some plays. Um, you have Jared Harrison Hunt, a former basketball star from Christ the King in New York, uh, who's a redshirt freshman, and he's actually now starting next to Nessa Severa as a redshirt freshman defensive tackle. That's a guy who's going to be playing on Sundays for darn sure. And then he pushes John Ford from Fort Lauderdale Dillard High School, who's one of the biggest physical guys at 6'5", probably 315, back to, you know, rotation snaps at defensive tackle. You got Jordan Miller, another big dude, getting defensive uh, rotation snaps there. And then you have other guys coming off the bench like uh, Jafari Harvey, who the coaches say might be the most athletic guy defensive end, and that's with Quincy Roche and Jalen Phillips on your roster. And Cameron Williams, great first name, uh, who's a retro freshman as well, and he's you know, big, long, fast, twitchy, and bendy uh, on the edge as well. Uh, so, I mean, it starts with Roche and Phillips. And then you build in and into the second unit from there. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, those guys are high-caliber athletes. They're playing at a very high, uh, you know, uh, performance rate right now. Uh, and like I said, uh, and I mean, hey, you can call sour grapes or whatever, but just point of fact, I don't think that uh, holding calls for opposition have been adjudicated fairly uh, or properly. And if they have been, or uh, then I think, or if they, the other teams just weren't holding as much, I think that the sack numbers for both those guys would be higher. Um, and again, I'm not even saying that it's cost Miami games because we haven't lost those games or anything like that. But I honestly and truly, because there was a stretch a couple of years ago where the opposing team went 16, 14 or 16 games without having a holding called against them when they played Miami. That's just not, that's simply not possible. You know what I mean? If you're talking about uh, that penalty and the kind of athletes that we have up front and the things that we're seeing in the clips and, you know, all those kind of things. And I think that we're getting back towards that kind of a thing. And I know that people are like, yo, this guy's talking about holding calls, not being called. But if, if it were reversed and you had a season and then some games and there were no cold calls at all against Virginia or against teams that were blocking Virginia Tech, you guys would know that too. And I'm just noting it as a thing. Cam, let's talk about Manny Diaz real quick because okay, so he was essentially look, Mark Rick Mark Rick resigns, you know, Manny Diaz left for Temple for like, I don't know, a week and a half. And then he came back real quick because it was kind of at this awkward part of the offseason where Miami wasn't necessarily expecting this change where Mark Rick just said you know what? I'm done. I'm retiring. That's it. 
Um, and, and then they go back to Manny Diaz, so almost like going back to the well because you got that known commodity, right? And they knew Absolutely. that they would be able to get Manny Diaz back in the building after being gone for 10 days or whatever it was. So mm-hmm. last year, the returns were just kind of mixed, right? It was up and down all year. This year is going great. So how does the fan base feel about Manny Diaz right now versus how they felt a year ago? I mean, obviously better, but are fans no. like full out sold that he's the guy long-term just because of the results this year, or is it just kind of a mixed bag still depending on who you talk to? If you're talking about, well, when the change happened, I was at, on a Sunday with a bunch of my friends for a friend's birthday in January. It was like, okay, fine. I can leave the computer. I can leave the website. There's nothing going to happen. And my phone went off like gangbusters. I mean, everybody I knew was texting me, DMing me, calling me and everything. Uh, so yeah, it was a little bit out of the blue that that happened. And then we thought that Rick could step down because it basically came to the point where he was going to have to fire himself as offensive coordinator and then fire his son, John, as the quarterback's coach or quote unquote, call in a favor, get him promoted out to a different job because you needed a new offensive coordinator. You needed a new offense. You needed a new quarterbacks coach to work with the quarterbacks. And those just weren't things I think that uh, he was willing to do. And that ended up to seeing Mark Rick leave. But in terms of Manny Diaz, yeah, I think it's more of a mixed bag. Uh, you feel, I mean, good, but not great, obviously, because, you know, there's still been the questions about Miami and big games uh, with him. Uh, Miami finally won a game after a bye week with my Manny Diaz as head coach because they had lost the previous four times after a uh, after a bye week um and that was troubling because if you have extra time to prepare how are you less prepared and less successful uh than just normal weeks so uh finally got off the schneid with that obviously you know yeah you score a couple well an offensive touchdown and then a return against clemson but you want to see okay maybe a little bit more competitive nature there um and things like that and there's also maybe a couple of questions with recruiting i mean some of you're hitting some of the high notes but you're also missing some of the necessities like you know you're talking about um the numbers on offensive line Miami only has five scholarship players at cornerback and they have none committed currently after dropping one of the one or the last one who was committed this past week uh things like that so I mean and it's like okay is he I mean I I, I I'm wearing a Detroit Michigan shirt in the colorway of the uh the Detroit Red, Red Wings you know um and I grew up going to and watching the University of Michigan football team. Uh, my uncle went to the University of Michigan. Our neighbor from across the street played at Michigan and things like that. Um, so I say this comparison because I have that kind of firsthand knowledge from my life before I moved down here and came to Miami. We don't know if Manny Diaz is Howard Schnellenberger or if he's Lloyd Carr. You know, is nine and three the ceiling and nine and three every year? And is that as good as it's going to be? Because, okay, we've seen six and seven. We saw being the only team to get shut out in a bowl game. We saw losing to FIU. We saw losing to Duke. And that was the second year consecutively, which is the first time in program history. We saw all of that, you know, saw the offense tank. We saw the team guys get suspended, you know, rumors of the quarterback being out late at night before games and, you know, things like that. We've seen all that. And now, okay, we've seen, things be decent pretty good but this season's not over yet you know and mike you know very well before the season i said i predicted seven and four and openly told the team to prove me wrong if they go two and two over these last four that's eight and three all right so that's a step better but do they tank do they rally do they continue after a tough emotional game last week and win and that kind of a thing i think will really step forward 
with knowing how we all view and feel Manny Diaz. So good, not great. I think that we're in with him being the coach here, but I don't know that there's a consensus that he's quote unquote, the guy who's going to get Miami back to really competing for championships every single year. Cam, this is the last question for you. And, and if you're willing, we do ACC picks against the spread at the end of every episode. We'd love to have you stick around and do that with us. Absolutely. Let's go. My last question for you, right? All right. Obviously, you're very high on Miami, as you should be. The team is 6-1. Mm-hmm. and one. But as we see with Vegas, as we see with, a, a, you know, probably sparked there by a couple of close games over the last two with Virginia and North Carolina State, for some, the jury is still out. So I, I want you to put on the opposite hat here. Okay. Virginia Tech wins if. How do they beat Miami? Um, you continue to crash to the run. So you, and that's the first thing you got to do is take away the run. The inside zone read is the basic foundation of the offense. So you have to stop that. Uh, maybe have an overhang defender, a scrape defender who's going to, go over the top and then he's going to be there if and when Deer King finally pulls the ball which is something that he hasn't kept the ball as much as many of us would like I openly think that there have been many wrong calls by him in the run game uh previously and again this is with Deer King playing really well so you're going to crash to the run you're going to stop that you're going to make Miami wide receivers win one-on-one matchups um and that's something that they've struggled to do yes it's been better the last two weeks but have they completely changed just because they got called out in game? I don't think so. So if you're Virginia, or if I'm, again, on the Virginia Tech side. Okay, cool. So you're going to do that. Also, um, with what you're doing in the back end, you're going to continue to have low efficiency from them because you're crashing to the run, but you're going to contain the explosion from them as well. So I would say, you know, if Miami's averaging 12 uh, chunk plays uh, in this game or on the season, you need to have that be five or six for the entire game, you know, passes over 15 or runs over 10. So you have them with low efficiency, limit the explosion, and then get a couple turnovers. Maybe somebody in the open field uh, is a little loose with the ball. One of the freshman running backs punched that thing out, uh, jump in front of a pass. Derek King has thrown some interceptions, so you get that. Um, and that's on defense. That's how you how you go about it. On offense, run that ball. Uh, find a way to do that. Mike knows I hate throwbacks because Dalton Keene had 17 touchdowns against us last year on those. Um, if you look at the Clemson game, I mean, seriously, he scored again on a throwback. Like we didn't, I mean, it's just. He <laughs> that was, um, that was definitely something that they utilized very, very well. It was the same play four it times. Was, it, was. it really was. Same it was, play. I mean, it was playing NCAA on freshmen. This worked and we're going to run that exact play again. Oh, hey, it worked. We're going to run that exact play again from the same formation. Like, and, that's the thing that Miami struggle with over time because we want to go fast. We want to go with our hair on fire and everything. So your misdirections, your throwbacks are going to be a thing. And like I've said, Miami is everybody's Super Bowl. So what do you do when you have nothing to lose? You play like it. That means all of your trick plays, you know, anytime that you can go for it, you know, we lost a game because Georgia Tech's punter dimed us up with a 55 yarder last year. You know, every team is going out with those things. I asked Joey and Mike or Mike before, I don't know, anybody on your roster any skill player who's left-handed but i would say that guy left-handed skill player trick plays that's a thing that i've unofficially been tracking for a few years hey you'll find out if a running back or wide receiver is left-handed because they're going from right to left sprinting with their hair on fire and they're going to stop and flip that thing forward you're going to go hook and lateral you're going to go whatever and you're going to hit them 
unlike Florida State in 2017, because they don't know how to throw a double pass effectively. You saw that NC State's quarterback scored on a throwback last week. Clemson, all their dash read um, zone misdirection counter runs and throwback passes and screens and things like that. You're going to run those. You're going to hit those. You're going to score. And those opportunities to hit home run plays, you're going to hit all of them and be consistent in the kicking game. So not let Miami's kicking game be a weapon for them. At least play them to par. You know what I mean? So if your offense does those things I've said, your defense does those things I've said, and the kicking game plays to par, and hell, you guys are Virginia Tech. Y'all made a living winning eight, nine, ten games on special teams. So maybe you don't even play Miami to par level. Maybe you tap into 2004, 5, 6 Virginia Tech, block a kick, return a punt, something like that, and now you're doing all those things. If you have those things come together, or at least two of those three, I think that's a recipe for a Virginia Tech win. Absolutely. And and when I look at this, other key kind of things that I think of, you know, we always talk about Christian Derrissaw here at Virginia Tech. We always talk about him as, you know, maybe the next Dwayne Brown under recruited guy develops at Virginia Tech future NFL player. A lot of hype there. Well, congratulations, my friend. You are likely to be blocking another future NFL player in Quincy Roche on the other side. If you're Amari Barno, if you're Justice Reed, you don't necessarily need to sack Derek King, but put some pressure on him, make him uncomfortable. I think running the damn ball is kind of the litmus test of whether this team's going to win a game or not, right? You have to do it successfully. This team's not going to win otherwise. Mike and Ricky, do you have anything else to add for the Virginia Tech side here? Uh, I I would say – Yeah, go ahead. um, Sorry. No, you're fine. Um, Anytime you play Miami – that defense can get going. We all know that the turnover chain is a huge deal and all it takes is one or two turnovers and that defense is going to be humming. So Virginia Tech needs to take care of the football. I feel like I say that every week, but um, in these games where you're playing a team that's more talented than you, it's, it's ever more important that you take care of the football and, and not beat yourself. Yeah, I think running the ball is really important, as it has been the entire year. Um, Andrew, you hit on that right at the end there. But if Virginia Tech doesn't run the ball and this offense becomes one-dimensional, I mean, we saw how much Tech struggled against Wake Forest when they were playing from behind and had to throw a bunch. Hedden Hooker is a good quarterback, but he's a guy who needs the running game to be going in order to be able to hit those play-action passes at a high clip. That's that's where he's just really good. I mean, he can he's a one-read-type quarterback right now. Um, that's his strength. It's, you know, off the read option. And then you pull back and you make the throw when the linebackers not crashing down, et cetera. Like that's where his strength is. And he's really, really good at that. So if you're able to run the ball well in this game and open up those opportunities for hooker in the passing game, I, I think you have an opportunity to score some points on Miami because of the nature of their defense being aggressive and the offensive line, let's just face it. They're going to have to play one of their best games of the year uh, because I think Miami's front seven in particular can put a lot of pressure on Virginia Tech's offensive line. And there were some some plays and some sequences last week against Liberty that concerned me a bit if I'm a Virginia Tech fan, where Liberty's front was giving Virginia Tech's offensive line some trouble. And that sounds the alarm a little bit for me because Virginia Tech's offensive line for the majority of the season has been really, really good against better competition. And they went up against Liberty and it's not even like the 
the five offensive linemen got off the bus in some of those plays last week offensively. So that's something that concerns me. Got to be really careful against this Miami front because they could definitely give uh, the offensive line some issues. So you got to come ready to play as well. Yeah, definitely agree, Mike. That is a cause for concern. Well, folks, without further ado, it's time, as always, for our ACC picks. I will admit I have not, uh, in front of me at least, I do not have the updated standings. We're having a little bit of a uh, good old COVID crisis in my life, and I have not been in my office in a couple of days, which is where Andrew, I Andrew, keep... nobody wants to know our records anyway. We suck. Yeah, no, generally, again, usually... <laughs> If you take what we do and do the opposite, that's how you make money. But yes. we, we got Cam today. Hopefully he's better than us. And let's get it started with a game that was supposed to be played last week. But COVID ended up postponing it. It's the Louisville Cardinals traveling to Charlottesville, Virginia to take on the Hoos. Both teams with two wins. The Hoos, a three and a half point favorite. Mike, go first. Virginia, I think at home wins the game. I think Louisville has an opportunity to beat uh, Virginia with their chunk plays offensively. And, you know, Louisville's been a little bit Jekyll and Hyde for me, so that they have an opportunity in this game if they play really well. I think they're the better team than Virginia, but Virginia's been kind of more consistent all year. It hasn't been consistently good all the time, but offensively, you know what you're going to get week to week with Brian Armstrong and defensively, it's been a bit hit or miss. So, it's a total coin flip game, but since Virginia's at home, you got to pick them to win and cover. I think they win by inside touchdown. Uh, Ricky, your turn. Of course, Vegas had to set this at three and a half, right? Those those cheeky bastards. Um, I'm going to go with the Who's as well. I think they're improving. Um, if Brennan Armstrong is healthy, Virginia's a problem for a lot of teams in the conference. So I'm going to go with the Who's to cover that. All right, both Mike and Ricky screaming wahoo wah here in the streets. I'm going to go with Louisville just to be contrarian. Cam, you've seen Miami play both of this team, both of these teams. What are your thoughts? I think that Louisville has one of the worst defenses that I've ever seen. Uh, we have a juke, <laughs> we have a JUCO quarterback last year, um, Jaron Williams who set a record against them with six touchdown passes. When things got rough in the third quarter, Miami scored consecutive 75-yard touchdowns um, to start their drives. So, I mean, you're talking about 14 or 28 seconds worth of time of possession, but, you know, they got a little closer in that game. It was just like, okay, cool, something special. You guys aren't going to see it. We're going to score. You know, you can't play with us. And I just think that even if they score a lot in this game, I don't think that they're going to be able to stop Virginia from doing the same and doing it more. So, uh, uh, yeah, give me the Wahoos, Virginia, to win and cover. All right, UVA, the popular pick here. I am going against the grain. Uh, another, an, a noon game here. It, it's Wake Forest traveling not very far to Chapel Hill. They take on the Tar Heels. The Tar Heels, a 13-and-a-half-point favorite. It's a pretty big spread. UNC's been up and down. I kind of like Wake. What do you like? Mike. I like Wake. Um, North Carolina's better. Wake Forest can play a ball control game um, against North Carolina's defense. It isn't very good. Wake Forest has run the ball really well this year. Sam Hartman has been better than I expect him to be. And Wake Forest defense has come along a lot since uh, mid-September when we kicked this thing off. So I like Wake Forest to keep this close. I think North Carolina wins, but I would not be surprised to see Wake very competitive in this game in the fourth quarter. Ricky LeBlue. Yeah, I'm going to pick Wake. 
Um, this may be a, a big letdown game for the Tar Heels. I think Wake actually could win this. You know what? I, In my opinion, in the world of high expectations, if it wasn't for Tech losing to Liberty last week, I would say North Carolina might be in as much, you know, failing to achieve their potential territory as Tech, if not more. Obviously, Tech lost to Liberty, so we can give North Carolina the nod there. But in honor of my good friend, Chase Muma, former Virginia Tech backup quarterback who is going to work for Wake Forest as a recruiting assistant next year, he's told me, don't doubt the Deeks, and I won't hear. I'm going to go with Wake as well. Cam, what do you think? I think that Wake Forest keeps it close. Uh, and this just to me is a spot where, yeah, I think that Carolina is the better team, but uh, just leaning back on the history of my team, I think this is when, you know, Florida State was clearly better than Miami. And instead of playing to win in the second half, you're playing not to get blown out. So you're going to do things that kind of shrink the game a little bit and, you know, those margins for error. So you're not going to really, you know, have explosive plays uh, one way or the other. uh, So you can keep it close and you can kind of use that narrative in recruiting uh, and things like that. And also, I think that Wake Forest is just a little bit better than people are giving them credit for. And 13 and a half is a lot of points uh and i just don't think that north carolina um north carolina can hit that ceiling i am not going to bet on them hitting that ceiling if that makes sense so i'm going to yeah say uh north carolina win but wait to cover so a sweep on the picks for the deeks again dave clausen doing a fantastic job down there in winston-salem all right The three o'clock game, nationally televised ABC, Notre Dame. Oh, yeah. Well, they're undefeated. They beat Clemson, snapping a a winning streak and a half right there. They travel to Boston College, where the Irish are 13 and a half point favorites. Mike McDaniel, we know that you're an Irish fan to some degree, and you you were very excited about their win last week. Can they cover 13 and a half here? Nope, they can't. Boston College is a team that historically gives Notre Dame a lot of trouble, regardless of how good or bad they are. BC is a team that challenged Clemson a few weeks back. Um, BC is a team that can certainly challenge the team that just beat Clemson. And uh, this weird stat noted last time Notre Dame beat the number one team in the country, it was Florida State. You know what they did the next week? They lost to Boston College. Um, This game is on the road in Chestnut Hill, a very sleepy environment there. Um, up there in Massachusetts, no fans. Uh, it's a huge letdown spot for Notre Dame. They win the game. They don't win it by two scores. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's an interesting one. Notre Dame is such an interesting team to me. You know, Cam just called <laughs> Louisville one of the worst defenses ever seen. They somehow held Notre Dame to 12 points just a few weeks ago. Obviously, they have a Clemson win to show for themselves since then. I'm going to go with Notre Dame, though. Ricky, what do you think? Upset alert. This is a uh, this is a game. Look, I'm really high on Jeff Halfley. Um, I think he is a perfect fit for that BC job. Um, Phil Dracovic is maybe a better quarterback than Ian Book. If Not maybe. Honest. Definitely just, is. Just, just looking at the stats. Um, BC can win this game. I think it's probably going to be a one-score game for for most of it. So there is a chance that Notre Dame could pull away and win this game by by two touchdowns, but I I just don't see it. Um, I think Notre Dame is going to let down. I think BC keeps it close, and there is an outside chance that they actually pull this off, uh, which would be a huge letdown for for Notre Dame because I don't know if they make the playoff at that point. 
Damn, your canes avoid both of these private Catholic institutions in this weird COVID season. What's your take? 13 and a half? Too much? Absolutely too much. Um, I I mean, I, I popped in when Ricky was talking. I 100% believe that Phil Dracovic is a better player than Ian Book, and they went with the wrong guy staying because he was at Notre Dame and transferred out. Uh, they, they're playing the wrong guy. It should have been uh, Dracovic instead of Book. I don't really care. Like, I have eyes in my head and a brain that works uh, for that. Also, <laughs> you have this is the red bandana game uh, to celebrate the life of the BC former player who was a first responder who passed away in the towers of 2001. And that's a huge game. Miami went up there and lost uh, when they had the red bandana game a couple of years ago. Um, and they like Boston college really brings it. And I know it's a big emotional kind of a thing. And they have made this, they've circled this as probably being the red bandana game uh, this whole entire season from when the schedule got reworked and everything. Um, and yeah, I just don't think that Notre Dame, is going to have that kind of success. And yes, they did beat Clemson. But again, this is a Boston College team that played Clemson very tight and they beat Clemson by a score in over in double overtime. You know what I mean? So uh, they're not necessarily in this other stratosphere. Plus also as well as my personal mission to remind everybody that Brian Kelly sent Declan Sullivan to his certain death in a cherry picker in 75 mile an hour wins in the name of practice video. And you can go look that up. I am never, ever, ever in my life, ever going to root for or support Notre Dame, Boston College, to win outright. Let's go, Eagles. That's there a message. It is. That's a message. Dude, I, I have no idea what you're talking about, but I'm very intrigued. <laughs> no, and, and honestly, you can look up. There's articles about it. There was a storm, and uh, it was it was very high winds, and they uh, postponed practice. And then Declan Sullivan was his name. He was a student assistant volunteer in the athletic department, and he uh, Brian Kelly had him go up in a cherry picker up 30 feet in these storms. And he was talking and texting. He said, "You know, I think that like something bad could happen." And unfortunately, that child lost his life uh, there. And again, this is. I mean, I'm not saying that Brian Kelly did the act that ended his life. However, he did send him into that situation knowingly, and that is verifiable. You can go look that up. I have not slandered that man or said anything that's not in public record. And I will, I tweeted every time that uh, that anybody brings Brian Kelly up, and I know that you're listening to the sound of my voice for the first time. I will never, ever forget. Rest in peace, Declan Sullivan. Ricky, just Google Brian Kelly killed a kid. Shout out to my uh, my best <laughs> friend, James Pryatel. He is on the same mission as Cam to inform the public that that did indeed Jesus. actually happened no no it's actually like it's it's yeah it's incredibly I, i'm not incredibly i'm sad. not i'm not doubting it i y'all wouldn't just come out here and make oh, sure no. so. <laughs> but i mean it's like everybody in, in the world has forgotten that and it's my mission to remember the life of that young man who unfortunately <clears throat> his life was cut short uh in the name of practice video for the university of notre dame football team indeed indeed well Moving on to a slightly lighter subject, Florida State travels to Raleigh, Carter Finley Stadium, to take on the North Carolina State Wolf Pack. NC State, a nine and a half point favorite in this contest. Michael McDaniel, what do you think? There is no planet stratosphere you could put me on. You, you could, I could be drinking all day, all afternoon. There is no chance in hell i am picking florida state against the spread the rest of the 2020 season there is absolutely <laughs> nothing you can do about it nc state nine and a half not enough nc state wins this game going away florida state is terrible on offense i mean they are real real bad 
And Jordan Travis, it was kind of this like nice little gimmicky thing that they did when they bring him out onto the field early in the year and nobody had any film on him. So he surprised like everybody the first three weeks and what he was able to do offensively. There's film on him now. He can't throw. And Florida State is going to have trouble moving the football in this game. NC State has been decent against the run, especially in the last like four or five weeks. They've gotten a lot better against the run. And this is going to be a problem for Florida State to move the ball in this game. I think NC State wins going away. Rick? Uh, Florida State, James Blackman is transferring to Marion Terry, has left the program. Mike Norvell has a shitstorm on his hands. Um, it seems like Florida State's just kind of doomed, right? Um, I did look at that line, though. Nine and a half does seem like a bit, but I am going to go with um, – I am going to go with Florida State – or, excuse me, NC State. <laughs> Cam, Cam, you – Cam, you live in the great state of Florida. You're a fan of Miami. They've played both of these teams. One of them took until the final two minutes for the Canes to emerge victorious. And one of them was never really a contest. Will I be surprised with where you're going here? Absolutely not. Florida State is a dumpster fire. On top of what uh, Ricky said, uh, Marvin Wilson is also out for the season. They're preseason All-American. Oh, I forgot um, about that. Yeah, yeah, he is out who should have left at the end of last year and been a first round draft pick, but he bought into whatever, you know, snake oil that Mike Norvell was selling. That's clearly expired. Um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it's, it's bad. It's real bad. Um, no, it's, it's bad, bad. It's bad, bad. Um, expired snake oil sounds terrible. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I don't, I don't know that I've seen a, a worse Florida state team in my life. Uh, and usually, you know, I talk about Miami, Florida state being close just because you threw out the records and it's this kind of thing. But this year I said, no, 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 no. Like Miami's playing really well early and they're really, really bad. And we beat them by six touchdowns. I don't know necessarily that NC state's going to beat them by six touchdowns, but especially considering all of the guys who have left that program and just the fact that they're going to quit on this season and being a Miami fan, I've seen teams quit recently. <laughs> Looking at Florida State, that's a team that's about to quit. And it's going to start this week. NC State's going to win. And I mean, yeah, they're going to cover that. So, yeah, give me NC State. There's not enough points that you could give me that I would take Florida State. No, not at all. Yeah, and I, I'm going to go with NC State on this one, too. I mean, we on this podcast have been quite critical of Bailey Hockman and his actual ability to play quarterback at the collegiate level. But, you know, he showed it up a little bit against Miami, and I, I just, you know, Florida State dumpster fire. I agree. But now, my friends, on to the game that we actually came here to talk about as we speak. Virginia Tech at home, coming off a loss to Liberty, a two-point favorite against the number nine of Miami Hurricanes. Michael, what do you think? I mean, the spread is begging you to pick Virginia Tech um, for reasons I'm still trying to figure out. I'm I'm a guy who likes to look at games. First of all, full disclosure, I will not be betting on this football game. So let me just get Why that the out there not? into <laughs> – into the wild let me get that out into the wild right now i will not be betting on this game because i think this is a vegas special as i like to call it where every year they have a game that does the spread makes no damn sense and you turn around and this happened with the boston college florida state game a few years ago by the way it was one of those games where florida state should have been heavily should have been heavily favored they weren't bc won that game by like three scores and it made no it was on a friday night it made no sense this is a vegas special this game is begging you to pick Miami to win, right? Like Miami's a better team. Virginia Tech hasn't been consistent in the last month. But for some reason, Vegas is giving Tech the points. And they're saying, 
all right, like let's let's see what happens here. My pick is Miami to win the game because they're the better team with my two eyes. That's what I've seen on the field. They're the better team. I will not be betting this because Vegas knows something that I don't. You know what? I'll, I'll interject here. And Ricky said, why the hell not? And I'd like to inform the public that Andrew doesn't have to pay rent next month as long as what should happen does happen. You talk about Vegas specials, Mike, and it's a real thing. We saw one just a few weeks ago when the great Norm Wood informed me that he just didn't understand why the spread was so close between North Carolina and UVA. I hammered North Carolina. I lost money on that one. I am prone to make the same mistake twice because I don't think, you know, lightning will strike twice. Give me the Miami Hurricanes. Ricky LeBlue, what do you think? Um, whoever was in charge of this line did way too much coke before they got to work there's there is no justification absolutely zero justification that virginia tech should be favored in this game by any margin um i understand that miami historically speaking has been prone to underwhelm in in situations but i mean for god's sakes guys how in the hell do you pick Virginia Tech to win this game? Um, we've we've seen Tech do this before where they play like ab- absolute, like a monstrosity, and then they come out and rebound, and all of a sudden they look competent, but they're not going to do that against Miami. The, 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 there's no chance. I mean, Tech's going to give up 40-plus in this game easy. They're going to have an issue blocking Quincy Roche. I think Miami's DBs are going to ha- – probably have one of their better games of the season against Virginia Tech's wide receivers who have shown no ability to generate separation consistently. Um, as efficient as Hennon Hooker has been, they if they don't have Khalil Herbert, the offense is not going to operate at, at peak efficiency. So give me Miami to win this by at least two scores. Um, there is a chance that this could get ugly. And if it does get ugly, then we're in for another hell of a week on Virginia Tech Twitter. Yeah, Ricky. I mean, 2020 has been full of surprises, but yeah, I I don't think that this ain't going to be one of them. Yeah, I don't, and I don't think that Cam's pick is going to surprise me either. Cam, where are you going here, man? Yeah, I mean, I think that Miami is the better team. I think that Miami's the more talented team. Uh, and even though, yes, yeah, some games have been tough, I think that those tough wins of winning your clunkers and finding ways to persevere and win is actually um, helpful, not hurtful uh, for the direction. find ways to win. Good that team, team exactly. ways to lose. Thank you. And Miami has far too often been that team that's found ways to lose. And this year is finding ways to persevere and win. Um and this is a rubber beats road kind of a situation on the road in Blacksburg against you guys, which has been tough for many, many years. Um, I was in college when my good friend, Matt Carter, uh, who took over the number 11 after Ken Dorsey threw a fake field goal on a Thursday night against you guys and Kevin Everett dropped the ball and we were all celebrating there uh, in my friend's apartment. And uh, then things went sideways. Side note, the morning afterwards, he actually rear-ended my girlfriend on the way to campus. And Mm. she got out of the car and was just like, oh, Kevin Everett, not your 24 hours, buddy. Um, (laughs) True story, true story, by the way. Um, And yeah, I mean, I know that there's been tough games with you guys and everything, but this is a spot where Miami has to, if Miami has designs on being a top team, has to win. And this is, I think, 
the, the where the rubber meets the road on are they going to backslide here for this last part of the schedule and end up that seven and four that I predicted as you know the pessimist or again like Ricky said are they a good team that finds a way to win in a tough situation and you know what I'm not 2001 championship cocky where you know we're just going to go in and roll over everybody but I'm confident that Miami is the better team and they should win so I'm going to pick Miami um and again, this is just a, a put up or shut up spot. You know, if we want to say that we're good and that we're going in the right direction, you win this game. And, you know, I'm going to err on that side, but um, be hopeful that that's what happens. Uh, and, and that'll do it, folks. And, and Ricky said, good teams find ways to win, bad teams find ways to lose. I don't know if I'll call Virginia Tech a bad team, but they certainly like went through a maze of all hell to find a way to lose last week. <laughs> but you know what? Cam, I really, really, and we all really appreciate you joining us. I'm a man who wants to be informed about all the teams in the ACC. And though Mike McDaniel is a great friend of mine, I can't rely on just him for all this information. (laughs) So I got to ask, where can our listeners get more great Miami content from you? Uh, well, first of all, thank you for having me on. It has been a, a great pleasure uh, meeting you guys and, and talking, chopping it up for the last little bit. Uh, we are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at The State of the U. The website, or sorry, my personal Twitter account is at Underwood Sports, but full disclosure, I talk about life, I talk about video games, I talk about reality TV on that account as well. So just know that it's, even though it says sports, it's not going to be all sports. Uh, but the website is stateofu.com. Uh, we have a great crew of contributors uh, that we break down all the things with the Miami Hurricanes. We were talking about baseball, basketball, men's basketball, women's basketball and of course football and recruiting uh they're 24 7 365 for the low, low price of free so go on over to stateofview.com and come fan with us and see if you don't find something you like but odds are you will well sir you have earned my follow michael and ricky anything you have to say to the people before we let this one come to a close uh thank you cam for coming on really appreciate it um glad i was able to get in here and kayak through the the rivers of my neighborhood. Uh, rate, review, subscribe. So Mike has to come up with something else. Uh, thanks for listening. And um, yeah, we'll see how this week turns out. Hopefully Twitter isn't a cesspool. Yes. Thank you again to Cam, folks. And thank you all for listening to the Hokey Hangover podcast. As always, you know, follow us on Twitter. Rate our podcast. Subscribe to our podcast. Assuming that you, as a Virginia Tech fan, have more friends than a Virginia Tech fans, and you're enjoying what you're listening, please tell them about it. Word of mouth, still more powerful than ever before. My last and final shout out. We've done like three podcasts this week, and I haven't gotten the chance to say it. Rest in peace to the great Alex Trebek, one of my personal heroes, and a guy I, I watched growing up. So I feel like I have to say it on the record at some point. R.I.P. Alex irreplaceable jeopardy will never be the same we'll be back yes we'll be back next week to review what happened in the miami game sorry folks i know you're all Hokies fans we all picked against them but you know what my motto is with this stuff folks hope for the best expect the worst we will see you next week as always go Hokies.